0: morning again church so yeah I wanted to start with what we've already mentioned two or three times this morning for the first time since what 1973 we are gathering on a Sunday on a Lord's Day where Roe v. Wade is not the law of the land Um, so praise the Lord for that right Um, one thing I have noticed over the last several hours is the level of vitriol, I think, has increased to a point that seems very unfamiliar, even in the last several years. Um, I've seen some just shocking, shocking statements um, made uh, on, on social media, places like that. And I wanted to say two things. First and foremost, those people who are saying those vitriolic things are not our enemy, right? Right? They need to hear the gospel just as much as we need to continuously hear the gospel. Those people are not our enemies. And secondly, let our rhetoric not be like theirs. Let our rhetoric be one of gospel grace. Because that is what they need to hear. Um, Because I know the temptation is to match the vitriol with vitriol. But I don't think that is the way that Christ has laid out for us to have these conversations, um, but praise the Lord that for the first time since 1973, that that is no longer the law of the land, and we can sit here and I look out and see—I mean, more children than I do adults in this room—and praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that, and may that increase. May that increase. This morning, we're going to continue in the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John. To tell you a little story before I pray and read the text. When I was a freshman in college, November of the year 2006, I first began interacting with the Gospel on a personal level. I grew up a Catholic, and I'm sure I heard some form of Jesus taught over my entire 18 years as a Catholic, but it never resonated any, I mean, I was blind and deaf to it, which is a humongous theme of this conversation we're going to talk about today. But I remember November of 2006, I started interacting with these people from the Baptist Campus Ministry, and after a few months of friendship and engagement on the topic of Jesus, I I was invited to go to church. Grace Christian Fellowship in Homer, New York, uh, was the church we attended, and I remember the first time I went. The pastor was his name was Chuck Freeman. I don't remember what he was preaching on, but I remember you know as as is the case with a lot of uh, of of leaning churches, we hear uh, a gospel presentation at the end of the service, and uh, you know you you are uh, uh, recommended or suggested to pray the sinner's prayer and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior at the end of the service. And I did that. I remember I was sitting in the second row on the left side of the pulpit. I was the second person on the, on the, uh, the uh, uh, from the aisle. There was a guy named Nick. He was a senior sitting next to me. I don't remember who was on my left. He was on my right. And I remember praying uh, as he concluded service, as Chuck Freeman concluded that service, praying the the, the, the Lord, or the sinner's prayer, right? Accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I remember Nick saying to me immediately at the end of service, "Go home or back to the dorm and read the Gospel of John," is what he told me. He was a senior. I looked up I mean, he looked up to him. He was, he was an elder in the Baptist campus ministry, not in a church office sense, but just an older brother go home, read the Gospel of John. I went home and read the Gospel of John and I was struck by the divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in reading the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John. So here we are, John chapter 3, as we navigate this amazing text declaring the Lordship, the divinity of our Lord and Savior. Our text this morning comes from John chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse 1 of John 3, but our focus is going to be 9 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It's an interesting statement. Do not marvel at that. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And here's our text for today. Nicodemus said to him. How can these things be? Jesus answered him. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the impact that the gospel of John has had on my life and this The way in which the Spirit has used such a text to open my eyes. Lord, may your word this morning go forward. May your truth be declared. May your word not return void as you've promised. Be with us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So we walk into this text, this conversation with Nicodemus that we began yesterday... And it reminds me a little bit of uh, this Wendell Berry novel that I love. It's called Jaber Crow. If you don't know who Wendell Berry is, he's an author from Kentucky, 45 minutes northeast of here, Newcastle, Henry County. Um, And he's got this, this series, it's not really a series, but he has these many, many books and short stories that are fictional based on the town of Port Royal, Kentucky, In the books he calls them Port William. It's the name he's given it. And Jaber Crow is about this uh, barber. He, he's the barber in the town of Port William. It's a tiny one-road town, you know, it's, it's your typical rural community. Jaber Crow is the barber. He has no family. It's just him. He lives in the apartment above his barber shop. And he's part of the community. People come and go, see him, chat, hang out. The interesting thing about Jaber Crow is he was orphaned twice as a child. He lived in Port William, got orphaned, but his parents died. He moved out of Port William and lived with his grandparents. They died. And then he ends up in this boys' school. In this boys' school, it's a Christian home for boys. Uh, eventually, he grows out of it and he attends seminary. Jaber Crow goes to seminary, um, and in seminary, he kind of walks this journey. In which he's preparing for the ministry. He's preparing for the pastorate. But as he's preparing for the pastorate. He becomes confronted by the texts of scripture. And he doesn't know what to do with them. And so he sits down with the president. Or maybe it's one of the professors at the seminary. And he begins to ask him these questions. About the miracles of the gospel. About things Jesus said. About the old testament. All of these questions that a non-believer struggles with and seeks to find answers to. He's incredulous. He's incredulous. He's skeptical. He's sitting in seminary, nearly graduated, and he's skeptical. He doesn't know what to do with it. He asks questions. He pushes back. He's confused. He doesn't understand what he is doing, what he is learning, And what to do with what he's learning. He leaves seminary. He quits. He drops out because he can't answer those questions. He doesn't know how to answer those questions. And what to do with those questions. So he drops out and he becomes the barber of Port William. It's a great story. That's all I'm going to tell you of that story. Because it's a fun one to read. But in many ways... Jaber Crow reminds me of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the evening, in the nighttime, asking these questions. He is incredulous. He is incredulous. How can these things be? How can someone be born again? Does, does he have to How can an old man enter his mother's womb a second time? How can these things be? And that will be our focus today. But instead of hopping right in, let's remind ourselves of the context of John thus far as we enter into the middle of this conversation. Right? We have John 1. Jesus has burst onto the scene here, and John writes this incredible uh, prologue to the gospel in which. You can't help but recognize the divinity of our Lord and Savior. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This Word, capital W, This Lagos, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was with God in the beginning, was God, all things made through him, and he bursts onto the scene. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The prologue of John is, is, is beautiful. And then we get into this testimony of John the Baptist, this guy who goes around before Jesus is is ministering and and he is preparing the way to use John's words. He's preparing the way for this word, for this Lagos, for this Messiah to come. This one who is coming, John says, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He's not even worthy to bend over and untie his sandals. That's who this Lagos is. The next day, this is coming from John 1, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Divinity, the lordship of our Christ. And then he calls his disciples, he calls these people to him. He first found his own brother, Simon. He's he's talking to Andrew here. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Rabbi, Nathanael says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, John is... Laying out this path of Jesus, demonstrating his divinity and lordship. We get to chapter 2 and the wedding at Cana, the first sign. Water turned into wine. The good wine too, not the bad stuff, the good wine. We get to the second sign, the temple being cleared and cleansed. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy it, his body. Crush him. Destroy him. Kill him. Slaughter him. Murder him. And in three days, that temple will be brought back. They don't get it. The people listening don't understand it. But he is declaring, John is declaring... His lordship the entire time. Then we get to this chapter. We get to three, right? People are starting to see. There is commotion happening, right? Things in town, there's there's whispers going around town, like, have you seen this guy? Have you heard what the crazy man out in the forest has said about this guy? These fishermen who are starting to flock to him. Have you heard what they're saying? Were you at the wedding that night? Did you see what he did to the wine? Were you there on the Sabbath when he cleared the temple? Did you see what he did? How he just flipped it all over and started talking about destroying the temple and building it in three days. It took us 40 some years to build it. Have you seen this guy? Whispers, words are going around. Now Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus comes. He comes in the middle of the night. Think of Gandalf coming to Frodo in the middle of the night as the ring. He would realizes what it is. Is it secret? Is it safe? Right? He comes at night because he's worried about who is watching. Nicodemus comes at night because he's worried about who is watching. Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees, quote a ruler of Jews, the teacher of Israel, is how this man is identified. He's a bigwig. He's of some importance. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, a Jewish governing body, a group of of men who helped to govern and lead the Jews. I don't know, a type of Congress, maybe I'm not a, a master of the Sanhedrin, But that's how I imagine it. A group of men, maybe like Congress, who are all broken up into their little partisan groups and are helping to lead these people. The Pharisees, which Nicodemus is identified as, were a particular body within the Sanhedrin. And their main concern, right? Their main concern, as we read throughout the texts of the gospel, is this outward, rigorous practice and adherence to the Jewish law. They were zealous for the maintenance and practice, maybe performance is a better word of the Jewish law, all 600 whatever there are of them. That's what they dedicated their lives to, right? They were the people that were like, do as I say, not as I do kind of people. They were very well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. We can't be ignorant of that fact. They were very well acquainted with the Old Testament Scriptures. This Nicodemus, a member of the ruling class, and Jesus is ready to to be very clear with him. He's not going to mince his words. And he's incredulous, Nicodemus is. He's incredulous. Remember what he asked him. So first, he identifies him. You are a teacher Come from God, Nicodemus says earlier in the conversation. Right? This starts as a dialogue. This whole thing starts as a dialogue. Nicodemus and Jesus are conversing. But as we get into our text today, it's a monologue. Jesus has words to say that we need to hear. But he's incredulous. You are a teacher. Come from God. And no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And we get the text that Jeff preached last week. And as Jesus answers that question, Nicodemus follows it with this one. How can these things be? How can they be? How can they be? And the monologue begins... monologue begins. And our first point today, our first point today with this text is true faith, true faith, true belief is not a personally formulated theory but it is a revelation of God to a sinner. True faith is not a personal theory but it is a revelation of God to a sinner. We see here as Nicodemus asks his question, how can these things be? Jesus responds abruptly. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Our sin has blinded us from seeing and hearing and believing the true God. Our sin has placed scales over our eyes, has placed a stopper into our ears, has caused the heart to die, and cannot, cannot recognize our Lord and Savior. Isaiah 6, right? Remember, we cannot miss the fact, we cannot ignore the fact that Nicodemus is a Jewish leader. He is a bigwig. He is a political leader in the Sanhedrin. He is a religious leader in the tribes of Israel. And Isaiah, remember his familiarity with the text. Here's what Isaiah tells, or here's what the Lord says to Isaiah in the calling of Isaiah. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. To who? To the Jews. Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind, their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is what the Lord is saying to Isaiah to tell to Israel, to the people, to God's chosen people. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. And to jump later into John, John chapter 12, the author records this very passage. He writes this, John does. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, referring to himself, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. You see... Nicodemus is demonstrating this very real reality to be redundant. He is demonstrating this reality of the blindness and the hardness of heart that sin produces. They cannot see. They cannot see. Israel, this constant cycle of sin, repentance, repentance, judgment. Rebirth, sin, repentance, judgment, rebirth. Constantly, constantly, constantly until the Lord has said, tell them, Isaiah, that their eyes will be blind and their hearts, their ears will be deaf. We're seeing this demonstrated in John 3 in the incredulity, incredulity of Nicodemus. But let us not be naive to the fact that this reality Of the Jews not being able to see is the exact same reality that we have as Gentiles. For in our own sin and darkness, following in the first Adam, the footsteps of the first Adam, our heir as well, our eyes are closed apart from Christ. Our ears are stopped. We do not understand. Think of your own conversion think of your own story as I harken back to earlier to my story of these conversations with people in the Baptist campus ministry it was like you know the the dimmer switches on lights like we have back here where you can kinda slowly turn the lights on they they get brighter and brighter and brighter slowly that's how it felt as I sat there and talked with these people heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and then sitting in church that morning, it was just like, whoop, the light switch has gotten really bright. Now I can see. I can can see by the light. I can see what's around me. That story is not unique to me only, but it is the work of the Spirit that opens deaf ears and opens deaf eyes. All of us, all of us, Have spent time wandering in the lost and and the cold, stumbling around in our sin, trying to cling to these things to fill the God shaped hole in the hearts that we have. All of us, right? Like Hosea's wife, he's told to go find this, this woman who is unfaithful, who sleeps around. Go find her and marry her. And he does, and then she leaves again, and she's out wandering in the darkness. And Hosea goes and calls for her in the darkness. That is you and me. We are wandering in the darkness in which our ears are shut, our eyes are shut, our hearts are rocks. And we hear the voice of our Lord and Savior calling. And it is only by that calling, only by that hearing, that the light comes on. And maybe it starts very dim. Maybe it starts very dim and you have to hear the gospel 20, 30, 40 times before it starts to get brighter. But at some point, if it's the Lord's will, that light flicks on. And as you live your life in Christ, that light gets brighter and brighter. And you start to see, that's what this text is referring to. That's what this text is referring to. And we have Nicodemus Here, with the lights off. The lights are off. How can these things be? And Jesus, don't marvel at what I said to you, is Jesus' response. Don't marvel at it. The lights are off. And it is only, only by this true faith that the lights come on. As the Spirit works. Point two. Outside of the work of the Spirit. Outside of the work of the Spirit. It is impossible for man to know. To see. To hear rightly. True faith is not something you have made up on your own. It is not something you've tripped over in the darkness and found. It is a revelation from the Lord and it is outside, outside of that, outside of the work of the Spirit transforming a heart of stone, it is impossible. It is impossible for man to know, to see, to hear. Think of verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and when you hear it sound, but you know But you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit's work. It's a mystery. We don't get it. I don't understand why my light switch flicked on when it did. You don't understand yours. You see God's hand work in it, but you don't understand it. Mark 4, right? The the seeds scattered. The farmer plants. Throws his seeds around aimlessly and goes to bed. He knows not how, but boom, there's life. It's a mystery, and it's only the work of the Spirit. 11 and 12 say this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus, responding, right, the monologue has begun here. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? We don't get it. We don't get it. Preaching, teaching, sharing, testifying to the gospel is a necessary component of saving faith. Right, Romans, what does Romans 5 tell us? Paul writes in Romans 5, I ran out of little sticky notes last night so I couldn't tab them, make it very inconvenient. Romans 5 tells us, I'm sorry, Romans 10 5, see, those tabs are necessary, Romans ten five to 17, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does, not, or who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here we are. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We must share We must testify. We must proclaim as Jesus is doing here in the early days of his ministry. And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must proclaim. We must proclaim the gospel, right? John Piper's great little book... um, Let the nations be glad. What does he write there? Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship exists because worship doesn't. And how are they whose lights are off to worship unless those lights are turned on? And how are those lights going to be turned on except by hearing the gospel? Except by hearing the word of the Lord? How are they to understand? Truly, truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Sometimes our teaching falls short. Sometimes it does not land But you are not the agent of salvation. You are the messenger who brings the word. In your job, right? I I work in a place where, as, as, as you all know, I've changed careers. I was at Christian Academy working in a very, very closed bubble. Not everyone were believers. But hearing the gospel was a very common thing. To go to an office now where... That is the farthest thing from what I commonly hear. You know those things. You work in those places. And whose job is it to take the gospel to where the lights are off, even if they do not receive it and understand? It's still our job. And Jesus knew that full well, as he would be rejected and murdered for such things. It is our job, likewise, to take gospel the gospel, but you are not the agent of salvation. That is the Spirit's work. I want to continue this theme of Isaiah because in fact, I think the entirety of Scripture continues this theme that we see here with Nicodemus personifying what is happening. We have Isaiah 6 in which the eyes are closed, the ears are closed, but Isaiah doesn't, God doesn't stop there with Isaiah. Here's what The Lord says to Isaiah in 32 about eyes being opened and ears being opened. Behold, he says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. That's messianic. That's not talking about just some Joe Schmo King David who's already been dead, some dude. This is a messianic text. Behold, a king. A king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a rock in a weary land. Listen to this. Then, then the eyes of those who see will not be closed. And the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know. And the tongue of stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. Ironic. The fool will no more be called noble. Nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. We have this messianic text of when the king reigns in righteousness, there will be open eyes... There will be open ears. He continues, though. This isn't where Isaiah stops. 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. There is new life. That's what this is demonstrating. Fresh life. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. That reminds me of Paul's writing. Say to those who have anxious heart. Be strong. Fear not. Behold your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And here's what he says. Then, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass will become reeds and rushes. Don't miss the correlation between Isaiah 6 and the Jews. This conversation with Nicodemus, the constant infighting that happens... While Jesus is ministering and these ongoing passages that Isaiah shows that when this king of righteousness appears, eyes will open and ears will hear, new life will come. Do not miss the connection because the following passages, Isaiah 42 to 53 is all about the Messiah, the suffering servant who will come. We see this happening in the text of John. What is John doing? He is showing that the Messiah of the Old Testament, the Messiah whom is being referred to, it's Jesus. And it is Jesus who opens the eyes. It is Jesus who unstops the ears. It is Jesus who brings life to a dead heart. The greatest of miracles. The greatest of miracles is the fact that Jesus takes a dead man and makes him alive. And I'm not just talking about Lazarus. Talking about us. Talking about us. The greatest of miracles. People want to see miracles today. They want to see healings today. They want to see all of these great things happen. But what they don't understand is the greatest of all miracles that still happens today is that Jesus restores life to places of utter death and darkness. Wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles. To quote a Fiddler on the Roof song. That, that is the miracle and Jesus then returns to this question if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things what is he talking about he's implying that he's already told Nicodemus earthly things and he's implying that Nicodemus has no clue what he's talking about what are the earthly things that Jesus is talking about I think Personally, although it's not explicit, I think he's referring to this act of rebirth, being reborn. Where does this rebirth happen? It happens here on earth. It happens here in his creation. And Because remember, recall what Jesus says earlier. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. As if to say, don't be surprised by this. Don't be shocked that I'm telling you this. Understand what I'm saying. Your eyes need to open. Your ears need to hear this. Do not be surprised. And so if Nicodemus doesn't understand this concept of rebirth that happens right here in the hearts of sinners on this earth in creation, how is he going to understand things that happen elsewhere? Things that happen in the kingdom? Because then Jesus goes on 13 through 15. Point three, your rebirth here on earth, your rebirth here on earth stems from a heavenly, heavenly reality. Your rebirth being born again here stems from a really, truly heavenly reality. And he says this no one has ascended into heaven except. He who descended from heaven, the son of man. I know the teens talked about this 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 morning. Me and Noah chatted about this before service. What does this mean? Is this saying that Jesus was born and ascended and came back? No, that's heresy. It's not what it's saying. Is it referring to? Elijah or some of these other folks who disappeared? No, I don't think so. I think what Jesus is doing is making a point by saying that I have come from elsewhere. I have descended. I have come from outside of this reality and broken into this creation. So listen to me because I know what I'm saying. That's Jesus' point. He has come from elsewhere and broken into this reality through the incarnation, right? Through what we celebrate. Jesus has come from his eternal existence within the Trinity himself, outside of creation. John 1, right? All things were created by him, for him, through him. He was there in the beginning. He is timeless. Jesus was there in community with the other two members of the trinity and broke into this existence not that he needed to not that he he needed friends to come here for but that he had something he was going to accomplish and he had to come to do it so he has broken in he has descended condescended to use a theological term son of man Son of man, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven. The son of man, referring to himself, hearkening back to Daniel 7. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But hearkening back to Daniel 7, this this glorified son of man that is seen in this end times vision. He's referring to himself as the son of man. The Pharisees would have understood this Daniel 7 connection. They would have understood that Jesus is referring to himself as this son of man breaking into creation. He w- they would have understood that he was referring to himself as the end time savior. That he is the one. This wouldn't have missed them. The reference they would have understood. They probably would have been skeptical still but they would have understood the Daniel 7 reference. Jesus, the Son of Man, the end-time conqueror. And then he goes in and finishes this, well, he doesn't finish this monologue. This is where we're going to stop. But he continues this monologue with this story we don't often talk about, this reference to the Old Testament. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And we have to read this passage together. Numbers 21 is where this comes from. They're in the wilderness wandering. Some of you know this account. I'm sure you all do. They're in the wilderness wandering, escaped from Egypt... And here's what they say. Here's what is recorded in Numbers 21. From Mount Hor, they set out by, way, uh, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They are groaning as they regularly do, as we regularly do. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So they're in this wilderness, they're complaining, and God sends judgment for their complaints. He sends judgment because of their belly aching, as happens over and over. These serpents come, and these serpents are, I don't know, slithering on the ground. I just imagine, like, this whole floor would be filled with serpents. You can't get away from them, and if they happen to bite you, you're dead. I don't, I don't know. That's how I picture it. Serpents all over the place. And if you just happen to be near one, you're bit, and you die. Judgment from the Lord for sin. And as the cycle goes, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Repentance. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Talking to Moses. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They recognize there's judgment. They repent. So Moses prayed for the people. And here's what Jesus is getting at in this text. As he finishes this, or as we finish this text with Nicodemus today. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. So I don't know, imagine like a microphone pole nice and tall. right? Make this serpent, set it up on this pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent he set it on the pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is what Jesus is referring to in this text with Nicodemus. And as we talked about when we did Hebrews, as we've talked about over and over and over again in different classes and in the, in the preaching, the Old Testament points to Christ, and Jesus here is identifying that this event points to him Because what happens? Those who were bitten were sure to die. Those who were bitten were sure to be dead on the ground. Gone, lifeless, no hope. But now, this one comes. It's placed up on a pole. It's hung up on a pole. And when one is bitten, He will die. But if he goes and sees this bronze serpent hung up on the pole, he finds new life. That's only referring to one person, to one thing, and that is Jesus Himself. That He must be lifted up literally on the cross and literally. Back to the kingdom. They didn't get the cross part though. As they think of Daniel 7. Son of man. They think of this great conquering king. And somehow they don't understand. And miss Isaiah 42 to 53. That this great conquering king. Conquers by being hung up on a pole. And killed. And it is by this. Hanging. that whoever believes may have eternal life as we wander in our deafness as we wander in our darkness as we wander in our sin and flounder in our spiritual death we look and we see the one hung up on the pole and we find new life there is life to be gained from that and so as Isaiah has written throughout his text and as Jesus is exemplifying here as Nicodemus personifies for us eyes will be opened by that one who hangs on the pole new life will come from the one who hangs on the pole so let us always If we are in Christ, recognize that we still have not obtained our perfection. And we must always come to the one who is lifted up. We must always return to the one who has been lifted up and hung on the pole. For it is in seeing him with our open eyes that new life comes. And if that is not you, if you are not in Christ, then you are like the Israelites who are going to be bitten by the serpent and die. That is the reality. And the only hope that you have is to come and see the one hung up on the pole. Because the one hung up on the pole is the one who has taken away sin and death. And it is by the one on the pole that your eyes will be opened and your ears will be hearing and your lame feet will be leaping like a deer. And that is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. That is what Jesus is saying throughout the text of John. That is what the New Testament is pointing out. That is what the Old Testament is pointing towards. Is that this one. The one who will be glorified. Who will come and conquer. Who is the king. The one who is slaughtered. And hung up on the pole. Is the one who will help you to understand what it means to be born again and it is only him it is only him let's pray father we thank you for your mercy and your grace we thank you that through your scriptures through your spirit you have revealed to our hard dead hearts the reality of our Lord and Savior hanging on the pole so that we might see and live. Lord, let us this morning see and live. Let us always look to see and never take our eyes elsewhere for elsewhere is sin and death. Keep our eyes fixed upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.